You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. We are, we are in a second year of a vision called Deep. Some of you remember this, discipleship, evangelism, engagement, prayer, these four aspects that we want to grow in as Southview, four aspects. And uh, today, we're going to be talking through D, discipleship. As we go in through the Word again, we're going to be actually over the next six weeks speaking and talking through the book of Galatians. Anybody fan with Galatians? So turn your Bibles to Galatians, and we're going to get into that in just a few moments. I want to set it up a little bit as we get into it before, while you're getting there. Galatians is a letter to a region. It's not like a church like some of the other churches, Ephesians, that's a city, Church of Ephesus, but this is actually a region. And Paul was writing to a large group of people, church people, that were coming to know God. You can imagine the tension, right? There were no handbooks from Rick Warren on how to build a church. There were no uh, conferences where you can go to learn how to do a children's ministry. This was all like street knowledge. Paul's like, okay, here's a revelation I got from the Lord. Here's what we're going to do. And as they were building the church, how many know that anytime you build anything, riffraffs come in, right? And so these people come in, and they begin to kind of stir up the waters a little bit. And Paul is getting pretty angry. And I'm going to just give you a little caution here. This is not like many other letters that Paul writes where he goes on and on and on about how great you are. He kind of gets right into it a little bit harshly. And the reason is, is because these Jews are coming into this church, this newly formed church, and they're looking at all the Gentiles and they're telling them, listen, you guys all need to get circumcised. Now, you can imagine if you're a 40-year-old man, that's a pretty tough word to swallow. You know what I'm saying? And then they would tell them, like, you can't eat those foods, you can't do those things. And Paul was like, what is happening? You're now mixing up the gospel. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump right in here at verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book and the letter to the Galatian church. Would you stand to your feet as we read the word today? I'm going to read a lot. Is that okay? Is that all right if we read the word in the the church today? Good. Okay. Here we go. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the church of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God the Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now Paul goes right into it. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one who we preach to, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that you were preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Jerusalem beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But when he had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those where the apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. That's Peter, by the way. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cecia. And I still, and I was still unknown in, per, to, in person to the churches of Judea and are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Holy Father, we thank you today that this letter that Paul wrote thousands of years ago still rings true today. We honor you today and we ask, Holy Spirit, that this word would come alive in us transform us and make us more like you in jesus name amen you can have a seat today i want to focus on a key text of the scripture key scripture of the text i should say galatians 1 verse 10 for am i now seeking the approval of man or of god or am i trying to please man if i were trying to please man i would not be a servant of christ today the title of my message is called what have you done for me lately One of my favorite songs growing up. Any Janet Jackson fans? Early Janet Jackson. Before she got into the seductive Janet Jackson. When Janet Jackson was a little bit like on the, well, never mind. Okay. I don't want to say she started getting fit and all of a sudden she's, but like, like, what have you done for me lately? Okay. That was just for me. And thank you, Leanne. I need your help. This was rough in the first verse. Okay. Let me share this quote. Eleanor Roosevelt said this. You wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you if you realize how seldom they do. I already like this crowd better. Don't tell 9 o'clock. The only thing wrong with trying to please everyone is that there's always at least one person who re will remain unhappy. You. Today, as we extrapolate the text, I believe that what Paul is trying to say and what I want to present to you today is that we have an issue in the church today, and that issue is we try to please people and we try to please God. I want to share with you in Scripture today to remind you of what God says about you, but I also want you to know that Paul is an interesting fellow. Paul, if I would say, if I could say in today's terms, Chapter 1, Paul is flexing on them. Paul is flashing his credentials. Paul is showing his riz. Where's my kids? Where's my kids? There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want my kids to know I used a, they said stop. My wife's telling me to stop. Thank you, Philip. My, my daughter's telling me, cut, don't do it anymore. <laughs> Paul is trying to tell the people of the region of Galatia, do you know who I am? Because I think it's interesting because Paul, you got to imagine Paul for a moment. Paul is an interesting story. I, it never gets old to me that God would pick someone like Paul to write most of the New Testament. Think about this for a moment. This dude was killing people, 
and all of a sudden had an encounter with Jesus and now is trying to tell people, hey, I'm, I'm on your team now. You know what I mean? Can you imagine Paul rolling up in the church, freshly done his killing spree of Christians, all of a sudden coming in, and they're like, oh, Paul's here. And he comes out, and he starts weeping before people. What is happening? Paul was converted. Paul was transformed. He was changed. But he wanted people to know, I'm not preaching a gospel I made up because I was part of the whole religious thing. I'm now preaching a gospel I got revel revelatory knowledge of from Jesus himself. And here's the thing about it. I believe with Paul, and we can debate this or not. It's up to you. It, it, uh, really, this is my synopsis of what I think Paul is doing here. I think Paul is telling people off because he's confident in what he's doing. Like, I think he's like, I don't care about what you think. But then I also think Paul is flashing his credentials because secretly inside of him, he's insecure in who he is. And how many know we can live in that dichotomy in everyday life? We can be confident in who we are and still be insecure in who we are. And I believe this message is for all of us today because I believe we all need to know that God is giving you a word for today. Now, here's the deal. Romans 7, Paul wrote this. He said, I see another law working in my body which makes war against the law that my mind accepts. Do you know there's a battle in you? There's a battle raging. Paul mentions this. It's about what I want to do and what I should do. It's about my new nature and my old nature. It's about Christ in me and the law in me. And Paul is identifying this. He's saying, look, I'm a miserable man. But God, he could save me from this. He can rescue me. And so here's what I want you to know today. There are two groups of people in this church. If not, maybe you fall in both categories. And I want you to know that many of you in this room will say, listen, uh, that's not me. That's not me. But I do believe everyone in this room, to some degree, cares what people think. And you may say, well, not me, but if the right person came to you, you'd be bothered by it. So today I want to talk to you first to the people who care about what people think. The reason why we care about what people think is a couple different reasons. Number one, we don't know who we are. That's identity. We don't know whose we are. That's ownership. We don't know what we are. That's purpose. And we don't know where we are. That's where we're present. And so today I want to give you ways to break off this people-pleasing personality. Number one, identity. You need to know what God created in you and that he created you for his pleasure. Now listen, for some of you, you think he created you to work. He created you to do. He created you for his pleasure. You know what I've noticed with my, my family, and, and sometimes it's just because we're exhausted because we're old, but um, sometimes, uh, you like how I threw you in that? <laughs> She's like, wait, hold on a second. Now you're paying attention. Okay. I notice that some of the most beautiful moments with family are when you're not doing anything. Do you notice it? Come on now. Do you, do you, parents, you know what I'm saying? Like where you're sitting there, whether you're watching TV, watching a movie, just hanging out. And for, as a dad, I just look around and go, these are my kids. This is my family. They don't have to do anything. They're just pleasing me by being in existence. Now, listen, I'm a human because maybe an hour later, they're making me mad. Like, I'll be honest with you. You know what I mean? But God is so divine that he's always pleased with you. He's always pleased with you. And the identity says in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both his will and work for his good pleasure. It's who you are. He really likes you. And who you are should not be redefined by those around you. People celebrate what they see. But we know in Scripture God celebrates what's unseen. So you can accumulate all the accolades that you want, but God sees your heart. 
And he delights in you, and that's your identity. Number two, it's your ownership. You are a child of the king. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you're a child of the king. Tell him that. Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons or daughters of God through faith. In verse 7 of chapter 4, So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. Do you know what it would have been like? I don't know what it would have been like to actually be a son or a daughter of royalty. Like to be a real, like a, your dad's a real king. Like you don't walk around the kingdom like everybody else. You know what I'm saying? That's called entitlement. Now, we look at entitlement, we look down on it, unless you have it. Because if you have it, you like it. You know what I'm saying? Entitlement's good when you have it. When you don't have it, you don't like it. But the reality is you are entitled because you're a son and daughter of the king. So you need to know that that's your identity. Now, your ownership is you're a king. And here's the deal. Being a slave to what people think gives them ownership of who you are. Let me even say it this way. Are you allowing people to live rent-free in your head? Are you allowing them? Because the reality is renting, we rented back in the day. You get to do everything without owning it. And this, my friends, is the cancel culture. I want to tell you what to do, but I don't have to do what I tell you to do. It's hypocritical. But we let people do this all the time. We let them tell them what we want to do. We tell them. We listen. We go, okay, maybe I should do that. When you need to understand that you are a child of the king, you've been owned by the king. And Paul was tired of hearing these Jews tell these Gentiles what they needed to do. Now, in 1970s, there was a movement called the Jesus Movement, right, where people were coming to church, and they smelled like pot, and they didn't wear shoes, and they had long hair, and they looked like Jesus, but they didn't talk like Jesus. And the church got all up in arms just like they did back then, and they said, listen, you ain't coming in here smelling like that, looking like that, sounding like that. And what happened? There was a movement in those people. See, I believe God wants to use the people that the world says is undeemable, unusable. And I think that's the interesting thing about it is who are we owned by? It changes the way you walk. Purpose. Number three, you were created for good works. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good which, good works, not good witches, good work which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Do you know that God actually prepared what you're getting ready to do? before you were even created. He knew you. He wanted you. He created you. That's what you are. You have a purpose. You are in a mistake by God, so your purpose should not be defined by others. Let me say that again. I liked it. We, you are in a mistake by God, so your purpose should not be defined by others. Be careful who you let speak into your what? Into your purpose. Be careful. Many times we're trying to prove ourselves to people that can't or won't understand the what behind we do. I've told you this before, but when you roll up in any kind of store with 10 kids, people look at you funny. And I wouldn't even say funny, almost disgusted. I totally am. Because my, my wife is so pure and holy. She's just looking around in the holy glory cloud. I'm watching people. Because she's like, nobody does that. I said, you ain't paying attention. People look at us like I murdered their son. I'm like, excuse me? And here's the cool thing about it. Like we went to, we went to Kroger or, or with Costco yesterday, and uh, we only had half the, we had six of the crew, right? So somebody was like, oh, my God, look, you're outnumbered. And I, I love it. I love blowing them. I said, we got four more at home. They're like, I can't believe it. 
I said, here's the receipt for all the stuff I had to buy. I can believe it. But you know what's interesting about it? Like, people want to define, like, how many kids I should have. I was like, stay out of my home. People want to define how you should talk. Even as a pastor, as a father, people are always, the world is always trying to define me. Well, you should do this. You shouldn't say this. You know, it's interesting. I, I love our church. I, I really want to say this. Bob was saying this before the service, just encouraging me, you know, speak the truth. You're speaking the truth. It's a tough word. And I want to say you guys are so encouraging to me and this crew and our, our staff. It really is. But I don't know what else to do but speak the truth. Like, I, I would hope you'd want a church full of people that speak the truth. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The reason why pastors don't is because they're scared of what will happen when they speak the truth. But what I, real, I realize is I was created with a purpose to spree, speak God's good works. And if I don't do that, I'm caving into someone else's idea of what I should be saying. The last one is present. God wants you to be in the moment with him. First, First Chronicles 16, 11 says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. That's where you are. You can't concentrate on distractions when we're focused on the Father. Let me give you an example. How many have been to Disney World? Raise your hand. Disneyland, Disney World. I know i got Californians here. I found in the first service that there is a Space Mountain in both. Am I correct? Okay. So how many have ridden Space Mountain, ridden, rode Space Mountain? Okay. Those of you that haven't, it's essentially a roller coaster in the dark. And all you hear is people screaming. It's kind of like a nightmare for many people. <laughs> Jonah's like, heck to the no. But the cool thing about it, listen, I've been on this roller coaster. I love it. I love it. But I've been on it. And you know what's interesting about the roller coaster? While I'm on the roller coaster, I'm not thinking about what my wife said two weeks ago. Like when I'm on the roller coaster, I'm not thinking about what somebody posted three weeks ago. I'm fully immersed in the roller I'm on the roller coaster. And let me remind you, it's the same thing with Jesus. When we are in his presence, there is nobody else's voice distracting you. When you're truly in his presence, because listen, if I fix my eyes on Christ, that's why it says, Fix your eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. If we fix our eyes on Christ, we're not looking to the left or to the right. We're not listening to other people's voices. The problem is, is many of us, we aren't present in his presence as often as we need to be. So many of you, you come to church and you go, whew, I feel free today. Man, I feel whole. I, I feel something. And you can have, you know, you know, you could take this home with you. This is Golden Corral. You can take the buffet home with you. Some of you know you're doing it, and it's wrong. You took way too much food. I see people coming out with knapsacks. Like, they're like, I'm taking this home for the whole week. But you can do that with God. Turn to somebody and say, you can do that with God. You can turn. You can take his presence home. And the Gentiles, listen to me. The Gentiles were telling the Jews, you can't do this. You can't say this. And Paul was furious. He, listen, you know what's so funny? We're looking through this with today's verbiage, but if you would read this through back, he was mad. Paul says, I am astonished. Mind blown emoji. I can't believe that you're letting these people come in and tell you the gospel. That if an angel comes down, this is how he, this is hard language. You got to understand this. If an angel comes and says something different, let them be accursed. Let them be damned. Listen, here's the, here's, the, here's the overall synopsis of it. You can't do anything to earn this gospel. 
And if you can't do anything to earn this gospel, you need to rest in that and stop trying to earn other people's love. So that's people-pleasing. And I'm telling you, I deal with that. Many of you in this room do. But what about God-pleasing? Because it sounds almost like it doesn't make sense. We're supposed to please God. That's what it says in 1 Thessalonians. It says not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. But might I pose to you the pleasing that I'm talking about is trying to perform. And for many of you in this room, this is a hard word because you grew up in a place, in a home, in a church, in a religion, where you had to perform for God's love. At least that's what you were told. Now, there was a man years ago. His name was Martin Luther. Martin Luther was the man who started the Great Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. Anybody know Martin Luther? Some of you were looking for a darker-skinned guy when I said Martin Luther, but that's, that's a different one. I know you're like, oh, it's not the guy I remember. This guy was in 1517, so there really wasn't any cameras for him. But he was an Augustinian monk and a priest. And he launched the Protestant Reformation, which, by the way, if you don't know, is now active in our church today. This was a whole aspect of faith. In fact, this is what blew his mind. You know what blew his mind? The book of Galatia, the Galatians. He read this, and it transformed everything he was on track to do. In fact, he wrote, he wrote these 95 theses, these complaints to the Catholic Church and nailed them to the door, and it transformed everything. And this is what got him in Galatians 3.11. It says, the righteous shall live by faith. And what he believed in his mind was the righteous shall live by works. Because he was a miserable person. He really was. He lived in constant fear. In fact, what they believe is the reason why he became a monk in the, in the first place is that one day he was, he was just minding his own business and lightning struck from heaven and it struck near him. And it scared him so much that he believed if he doesn't change his life and serve God, God's going to send another lightning bolt to destroy him. So that started his career in ministry. He thought you can earn grace. In fact, he did these things to suffer. He had a meager diet. He wore uncomfortable clothing. He was begging even though he didn't need to. He was always fasting. In fact, people say that he would confess his sins to someone for six hours a day. Eventually, this guy was like, look, unless you murder somebody, I don't want to hear any more of your sins. He had this thing, and, and it may be still today, this thing called the treasury of merit, which meant that if you would visit enough holy sites and you would visit enough relics of God that you could earn better status. It's almost like frequent flyer miles with God. You'd get yourself in preferential treatment into heaven. And I've seen that in person. If you ever been to Israel, there's a place where, where they believe Jesus was crucified and buried, and there was a rock there kind of built into the room. And this slab, this rock, people are coming from all over the world and they're kissing the rock. They're weeping over the rock. Why? Because someone said that's where they laid Jesus' body. When he came off the cross, they laid him on a rock. And so now people are making pilgrimages just to kiss a rock where Jesus could have possibly have laid his body down. Now here's the other thing. All throughout Israel, any of the holy sites, you'll see little pieces of paper stuffed within rocks on the wailing wall, stuffed within the, the cracks of the wall. These are prayers from people. Desperate for a healing for their mother. They're writing on a piece. They're putting it in. Why? They feel like if I could just get close to where Jesus was and I could submit a prayer request, maybe possibly God would heal me and hear me. Martin Luther had an unhealthy fear of God. This is a quote from him. 
He said, I tortured myself with praying, fasting, keeping vigils, and freezing. The cold was enough to kill me. I inflict such pain as I would never inflict again. All this self-imposed torture, along with his sacraments, the pilgrimages, all the sacrifices gave him no peace, no rest, no sense of forgiveness. They only increased his torment. In fact, Luther was convinced that it was impossible for any sinner to satisfy God and be accepted by God. So he began to feel that God was harsh and cruel, and he actually came to hate God. This is another quote. He says, I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring, murmuring, murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. And I said, is it not enough that miserable sinners eternally lost through original sin are crushed by the law of the Ten Commandments without having God add pain to pain by the gospel and also by the gospel threatening us with his righteous wrath? He said, I raged against God with fierce and troubled conscience. There was never enough fill in the blanks to please God. Never enough giving, never enough reading, never enough praying, never enough attending church. I could not earn God's love. And Martin Luther came to this revelation as he's reading the same text we're reading. And he sees this and he hears from Paul. And he hears this idea that grace through faith alone. You mean I don't have to do anything. I don't have to wear this burlap sack outfit anymore. I don't have to eat locusts. I don't have to pray without ceasing to try to prove to God that I'm here for him. See, there's one thing to do prayer. There's another thing to do it to try to earn God's love. Do you know that almost every religion on earth has this same ideology inside of it? You have to earn the love of the God you serve. Hindus, I've, I've watched this. It's unbelievable. They will literally put hooks in their skin and hang offerings to their gods. Gods walk up steps in a trance full of demons to hope that maybe, possibly, they'll get accepted into the afterlife. There's some religions where you can, as living relatives, you'll purchase these little paper things. You've seen this. Pastor Charles has shown us little paper money and paper shirts and all these cardboard things you buy them and what you do is you burn them and the hope is is that as you burn them that they'll go to your your loved one who is wherever they're at and that they'll have money in the afterlife they'll have a shirt in the afterlife it sounds funny but you know what that's crept into the church today for some of you you don't come to church because you want to you come because you feel like you have to if i don't do this i'm gonna have a bad week for some of you, you write a tithe check or you put it in through the machine and you say, if, if I tithe, then God will bless me. These are all works-based things, and this is what Paul was yelling against. He said, look, it's not about if you're circumcised or not. It's not against if you eat meat or not. It's about you accepting and receiving the finished work of the cross, which is grace. It's nothing you have to do. You can't earn it. All you have to do is accept it. And he says this in Galatians 1. He said, as anyone preaches another gospel, let him be damned forever. Ooh, that's a strong word. I wonder how that word would hold up in church today. 
where we're preaching all these crazy gospels that we can be whatever we want to be, be whatever gender, you could just do whatever you want, say whatever you want. God says, no, I've created you the right way. I don't need your augmentation. I don't need your help. I want you to know that God loves you. And this is the deal. We have distorted theology and the gospel so it fits what we want. There's this thing called natural theology, which means those who live according with the Beatitudes and who bear lovingly the sufferings of life. If you do enough suffering, and if you do it enough, you'll get into heaven. You don't even need Christ. That's the gospel. Just do, just suffer and mourn and be humble, poor, this is a Gandhi. This is a Mother Teresa. This is the idea that if I could suffer enough, then there's this wider mercy theology where God saves all people through just different religions. You know, it takes different ways to get to God. And, you know, hey, whatever it takes, you can get in. But Martin Luther found in Galatians that salvation is not by works. It's not by merit. It's by grace and faith alone. And that the just live by faith. And that righteousness of God is imputed to the believing sinner. I want you to understand this. You will never please God. In fact, you don't have to please God. He loves you. And if you deal with this, if you were raised in a Catholic church or a religious church or any of these things, listen, there are some good Christian Catholics. They're receiving the filling of the Holy Spirit. I, I don't want to knock out a whole different group of people. But if you've been taught that you have to do things to earn God's love, that is a false gospel. And Paul said, I, I, Paul's up in heaven. Don't make me come down there. He is fuming because he's taking away the beauty of what Jesus did. If you're a God pleaser, give you three reasons why you probably are is you don't know who he is that's his attributes you don't know what he did that's his actions and you don't know why he did it that's his affection who is God who God is is his attributes first John 4 verse 8 says anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is what he is love he doesn't have to manufacture it he doesn't have to force himself to love you did you know that love didn't exist apart from God like, God is the definition. Love came because God was here. And this is the love of God that made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. A.W. Tozer says, if we take away any of the attributes of God, we do not weaken God, but we weaken our concept of God. For many of you, you have a weak God because you've told God who he is as opposed to understanding who God is. The attributes of God describe who he is. Martin Luther discovered this and it transformed his life. That's his attributes. Do you know that's who God is? Did you know this? That the fruit of the Spirit is who God is. Like, so God is joy. He is peace. Like, he doesn't just give you peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Like, he doesn't give you faithfulness. He is faithful. He is self-control, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. He is all of that. And so when you invite him into your life, you have the very resource for your peace. Oh, man. We have the Prince of Peace. If you ever have fear, all you have to do is say, Prince of Peace, be active in my life right now. He is there. He's there. If you ever need joy, joy, the Lord is my strength. Joy, come to me because you're in me. Jesus, you're my joy. Be my joy. 
This is also what God did. This is his actions. Look what it says here. John 3, 16. We all know this, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This was his action. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God sent his Son to take care of the bill of debt that your sin occurred. Now let me say it this way. This past week, I got a bill in the mail from a doctor's visit. Now this is my doctor, but we have new health insurance. And so I called them up. I said, listen, I'm coming in with some new insurance. Do you take my insurance? And the lady said, yeah, we're working on, working on that insurance, so come on in. I said, okay. So I'm clear, right? I'm not out of network. They said, no, you're in network. I said, okay, so I'm covered, right? I'm covered. How many know, get a bill in the mail, you're not covered? So I said, are you kidding me? So I called them up. I said, do you know who I am? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. That's the wrong, that's the wrong way. I said, look, you know, I got this bill, but they said that I was in network. She said, so, so the lady, the doctor told you that? I said, yes. The, the nurse, the, the receptionist, they said that we cover this. She said, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write this off as if you're in network. I'm going to cover this. Covered my bill. Now, here's the good news. It's covered. It's taken care of. The crazy news would be is if I said, no, 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 hold on a second, lady. I, I, it, would be, it would be a pleasure for me to write out a check anyway. Like, I want to pay for the bill. No, 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 it's covered. No, no, I know, I know, I know, I'm not in network. I get it. Like, I didn't know, but I'm out of network. I want to pay for it anyway. How about this? I'll pay for half. How about this? I'll come in and I'll work at the office. I'll do photocopies. Like, I want to pay off this debt. You're laughing, but this is what we do with God. You are in the network now. Turn to somebody and say, you're in the network. You're in the network. You are covered. You are covered. You were covered. This is what he did. He covered you. And every time you go back to your works, you're essentially trying to pay a bill that the doctor wrote off. So let's keep going. That's what he did. That's his actions. And this is one of my favorites, why God did it. This is his affection. Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy, that means he has a lot of it, Dan. Because of his great love, that means he has a lot of love for you, Dan with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Even when you were cursing, you were drunk, you were abusive, you were dirty, you were all those things. Even when you were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now it gets even gooder. Listen to this. You were raised up. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, listen, he wants to show you off. In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not This is not by your own works or your own doing. It's a gift of God so that you and me can't boast. That's it. So that's his affection for you. So when you try to earn God's love, God's like, you already have it. You already have it. You don't need to tell me I love you one more time. I love you more than you'll ever love me. It's my great love for you. I, not only does he love you, but he seated you next to him. He wants the world to see how much he loves you so that they're saying, I want what he's having. 
I want to be loved like she is being loved. This is another level of love. I remember when Leanne and I were dating. Some of you remember when you were dating? Pastor Raphael, you remember when you did? Yeah, like, like, like when, when you're dating, you're, you'll go anywhere, you'll do anything. You know, if she says, I like that color shirt on you, you'll go buy seven more of those shirts. You know what I mean? Like, whatever it takes. You like this restaurant, we're going to eat here all the time. You know what I mean? Whatever you want. Why? Because you're in love. God is even more in love with you. Like, he's, he's even in more in love with you that he wants to spend time with you. He wants to dote on you. He wants to show you off. He wants people, the world, to see how great and mighty he is through you. Many of us in this room today, we need a Martin Luther Reformation moment in our own life. God isn't concerned about what have you done for him lately. There it is again. Because some of you, you feel that. You feel that from someone. What have you done for me lately? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's someone at work or someone at school. And then some of you feel that way with God, like God's up in heaven going, what have you done for me lately, Dan? What have you done? Have you shared the gospel? Have you ever walked out of somewhere, whether it's Walmart, Target, or restaurant, or school, or work, and you felt like the Lord wanted you to share something with someone, and you didn't do it? Have you ever been in that moment? Have you ever walked out and felt like dirt, like God will never use me again? Do you know that God still loves you when you still don't do what he says? Oh, only four people because I only heard four amens. The rest of you are like, I don't think so. I'm telling you. And you know what he says? I'm going to use you again. Brady and Brady, I'm going to give you another word next week. That's how much he loves you. We say we don't care. And some of you in this room say, I don't care what people think. We, but in actuality, we really do to a certain degree. Remember, you were created for community like Adam and Eve. We want someone to love us. We want someone to hang with us, affirm us, understand us, remind us that we matter. And sometimes we let those people define us more than we do God. But let me remind you, you were created to be in a garden with God. Like original intent, like this is what you were supposed to be doing hanging out in God in the garden, and in the cool of the day, you're hanging out and talking with God. That's what it should have been like. But what happened was sin kicked us out of the garden. But just for a moment, imagine this. You know, Adam's in the garden, and he, he's having a rough day. The monkeys are acting crazy. Like, he's like, man, monkeys are throwing all sorts of stuff at me. But he goes to God because God's going to talk to him. He's like, God, I, I'm having a rough day, man. The lions and tigers and bears, they're crazy. Thank you for that. The lions and tigers and bears... <laughs> Lions and tigers and bears. Okay, there you go. They're here. They're crazy. Dudes are trying to eat each other. I don't know what's going on. And God comes to him and says, relax, Adam. It's just me and you. Don't worry about the animals. Like, I'm here for you. That's how it was supposed to be, that we would be able to spend time with God. And guess what? It still is today. We have to get our affirmation from him, not from each other. But we also have to realize we don't have to perform to be with him. He wants to be with you. That's a good word. I need that. I need this word. So what have you done for him lately? Just be his son. Just be his daughter. That's what Paul would say. If anybody in this place, including me, tries to preach a different gospel, Paul says, let him be accursed. If it's works, get out of here. You try to make a performance, you could tithe, you'll get to heaven. Mm -mm. Be damned forever. That's what Paul would say. Because it's as simple as you saying yes to the finished work of the cross. Receiving him 
as your Lord and Savior. Today, I want to say something to you, and I want you every eye closed because I, I want the distractions to be gone. I want you to know this today. If Paul was here, this is what he would want for you. He'd want you to be free of performance today. I'm going to say that again because I feel like somebody needs to hear that. You need to be free of performance today. I feel the Holy Spirit say to me that some of you, you've never even let your spouse know the real you. There's a performance on you that has been from birth. I, I feel like the Lord says, as whoever this person was or people, it was when you were a child, you were told, do this, do that, do this. And God says, I want to break that performance off you today. For some of you, you need to be free of other people's expectation. Somebody was told this when they were young. You'll never be this. You'll never be that. And guess what? Maybe you weren't supposed to be. Hear me again. You weren't supposed to be. Some of you need to be free of religious guilt. You can't enter into worship because you feel like God's just looking at you, condemning you for everything you've done this past week. And guess what? God loves you. And some of you need to be free of that other gospel that Paul said. That religiousness that comes in, creeps into the best of us. With every eye closed, I just want to say to you today, as your pastor, I, I struggle with this. Sometimes I feel like, I, like God, am I doing enough? Whew. God, I wasn't in your word today. Are we going to be Okay. And all I remember is it's like when I see my kids, and they're just being, they're just being, how I delight in that. And how much more so does my Father in heaven delight in when I just be with him. So I break off that, that lie from the pit of hell that tells you you got to do something to earn his love. you got to do something to get into heaven. All you got to do is receive him. And so today... Let me just quote this scripture one more time, Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And let me define that servant to you today. You serve not out of obligation, but out of relationship. Because here's the good news. I don't have to try to please God, but guess what? I love doing things that make him happy. Because it's out of my relationship with him. I don't have to earn his love. Now I just want to be around him. And I do things like tithing. I do things like praying. I do things like worshiping. I do things like reading the word. Because I want to get to know him more. Because he's been so good to me. I want to give him back a tenth. At least a tenth of my money. Why? Because he gave me the whole 100% to begin with. These are the things we do out of relationship. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.